Uh, kids, make your escape. Now's the time. One of the, while they're doing this, just kind of speak into what we're actually doing when we do that. It's a part of our church's culture that our kids are raised in as many uh, church family environments as we can possibly get them into. And so worship is a really great thing to invite them to participate in. And as they, as they watch the people around them worship, they, not just, they don't just learn the songs, but they learn what a life of worship looks like. And so um, I, I, my hope, I think, uh, is that as our kids walk out, you start to see their faces. You know, we, we kind of make it like a, it's, a, it's a, not something we make a big deal of when they leave, but start paying attention as they walk out. And, as, you know, you may not know the name that goes to the face, but be praying for them uh, throughout the week and throughout the months as they grow up, uh, hopefully as they uh, begin to know and understand the gospel, that their lives would be transformed. And so it's no little thing when we send them out. It, it is a real big thing, and, and I'm sorry if we've ever made light of that as just a, kids, you're dismissed, right? It is a, it is a big thing that they're here, uh, and what they're going into is an environment that's going to help shepherd their little hearts into hopefully what becomes Christ-likeness. And so with that, um, we're back in Exodus. So uh, welcome to the branch summer version. So this is our first real Sunday uh, where we kind of scale things back for the summer. Uh, it's one of my favorite times. We've been around for a couple years. My family has been. We love the summers partly because I really enjoy playing softball. Um, so that's the selfish reason. Um, but two, it just kind of becomes um, like, a, like a family environment. It's something we're always trying to do in, in every season of ministry here at the branch. But here during the summer, it really does feel like that. We get a little bit more intimate. We start sitting a little bit closer together. Um, and as college students go home, I don't know what that says about college students or what that says about us. I don't know. We'll find that out. We'll ask them in the fall. Um, but anyways, today is a day of significance, uh, not for you, but for me. Um, Megan and I are celebrating our 12th anniversary today. Which, you know, this is one of those things where, thank you for that, uh, we've made it. We've really made it. Um, we snuck away uh, kind of south of the border uh, Tuesday this week and um, just to enjoy being together, to reconnect. We have three kids, and so our life is crazy with the end of school and sports and transitioning into this role. And so we just decided last week, we were like, we got to go. If we don't go now, we're not going to do it. And when we were going through our premarital counseling, I remember the guy, what who was walking us through as our pastor at the time in Tuscaloosa was just saying, hey, there's three things that you guys need to, to make sure that you do and do them with rhythm. And it's to, to date weekly. This is free, okay, for today. So like if you're, take notes if you need to, all right? Uh, date weekly, uh, get away monthly, and escape annually. And so that's what we did this week as we escaped. We left the kids with babysitters, and uh, Caroline snuck down to help and, uh, with our babysitter. And so, uh, Megan, I love you, and uh, I'm thankful to serve alongside of you. She sings a lot. She serves our church in a bunch of ways that are not on stage. And so um, just make sure you say something nice to her today. Anyways. All right. Uh, so let's jump into Exodus chapter 2. Now for the real stuff, right? Now for the real stuff. Uh, Exodus chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 11, and as you're flipping there, and I do want you to go there, uh, you'll see the next uh, group of guides are in your seats, uh, so you can take those with you, sl slap them in your binder. If you don't have a binder yet, they're over here on uh, the book nook, grab one on your way out. Uh, this will get you through week 8, and so that's kind of, a, we're, we're hoping to stay about four weeks ahead, and so you can expect this every four weeks or so to get you the next couple 
of weeks. But as you go to Exodus chapter 2, kind of want to give us just a flyover recap. Uh, this is week four, officially, of our Exodus series, and we will officially be halfway through chapter two, okay? So we have a long ways to go. We will pick up the pace here over the next couple of weeks. I think chapter three is all going to happen uh, in one week. Chapter four, I think, is, is one week, maybe two, uh, and we'll start picking up the pace once we get into the plagues for sure. But um, the reason we're doing this is because we believe that God's Word's important, and, and we think it's important for us to slow down uh, not just how quickly we talk, sometimes we like to talk really fast, um, but how, we, how quickly we're reading Scripture. And so by going through a verse-by-verse study, we're doing that in our, uh, in our posture to God's Word, and so we're intentionally slowing down. And so uh, today, we're, we're not even going to finish chapter 2, we're going to leave a couple of verses for next week, but um, I want to read from Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. So one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a priest, a prince? And a judge over us. Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, this is verse 20, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So here's what we know so far, is God's people, they're in Egypt. They've been in Egypt for a minute, right? So we, the Bible tells us it's been about 400 years. Years and the oppression has grown. The new Pharaoh is ruthless, and uh, the burden of God's people is is very heavy. And so, uh, Israel has increased in number and might, and that increase has gained the specific intention or attention of Pharaoh. Okay, Pharaoh responds uh, ruthlessly and in cruel ways, uh, which is where we were last week through uh, Moses' birth and the week before that, an edict to kill the firstborn. And Moses is born, this is where we were last week, and he's preserved in what really is a miraculous way. Okay, so that's where we've been. That's three weeks and 35 seconds. Okay, and this week we see this transition, and now we go from what seems like a couple of years to now a few decades. Okay, so what Acts chapter 7 tells us is that Moses has grown up, and that's about 40 years. Okay, so it's been about 40 years in between verses 11 and verse 12. And so why is that important? Because I think Moses' life can be summed up in three 40-year blocks 
Wouldn't that be nice if your life could just be summarized by like raw, even numbers? If you're a numbers person or a perfectionist, you would really desire those things. Uh, I desire those things, okay? Um, and, but Moses' life really is broken down into three 40-year segments. The first, and I've got a quote up on the screen that I read in uh, the little book that we've made available to all our family group leaders. It's Tony Morita's uh, Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary on Exodus. He says that Moses was 40 years in Egypt learning something. He's 40 years in the desert learning to be nothing. And 40 years in the wilderness proving God to be everything. And so I I don't know what your life looks like and how you feel like God's dealing with you and how he's calling you out. I know we had a bunch of students graduate. Uh, Dylan graduated yesterday from Southeastern Seminary. Dylan's kind of the overseer of, he he basically makes everything happen, he and Jared do. Um, And, um, but Dylan graduated yesterday, which is such a big deal from Southeastern Seminary. But we're all kind of in these seasons where our lives seem to be changing. And here for, for Moses, he has 80 years of preparation, 80 Okay, that's a lot of time uh, to be going through seminary, right, of of learning, okay, who am I, who is God, and what is he calling me to do? And then he has 40 years to act on that, right? And then really the last 40 years of Moses' life is just he's pointing people to God, right? He goes up to Mount Sinai, he comes down, he's got the Ten Commandments, he's leading them, he's doing all these things, and he's calling them into holiness, okay? That's what Moses is doing his last 40 years. But he's got 80 years of preparation for 40 years of ministry. So what do we know about where Moses was from verse 10 to verse 11? The Bible gives us very little information about the, the, that gap of years. And so what do we do with that? We have to learn to be okay with that, okay? So do you want to know more? Yes. Are there other historical books that we can learn about Moses? Yes. But what does God have for us? God has a gap, right? We see the same thing, and we're going to come back to this narrative at, in, in, at the end in Jesus' life, right? We get Jesus' birth. We get Jesus as a preteen in the temple where um, his parents leave him behind. Do you know this story? And, and they come back, and they find him in the temple, and he's, he's teaching. He's reading the scriptures, and what are you doing here? Like, well, don't you know I'd be in my father's house, right? That narrative. From that point to Jesus' full-time ministry is He's 12 to 33, so he's got 21 years, right? And there's this gap where we know very, very little. That's okay, because it's usually in those gaps, and this is just an encouragement into your life, where it appears that God's not doing anything, where he is really doing his most, okay? So that is the takeaway this morning. So if you need to go, um, there's, there's it. That's the whole thing. I could end now, press stop on the thing, and it would say we're 10 minutes and 22 seconds in. World record, okay? That's the point. When God appears to be absent, he is doing his greatest work. So last week, God was mentioned exactly zero times in Exodus 2, 1 through 10. Did you, pay, did you see that through family group? I know family groups are kind of settling down for the summer. Or in your own reading of Exodus 2, 1 through 10, God's not mentioned. But God is doing an incredible work. Is, is God's character being revealed in Exodus 2, 1 through 10? Absolutely. What do we learn about God's character in Exodus 1 Uh, 2, 1 through 10, that he really cares for the infant. He cares for the innocent. He cares for those who can't protect themselves, okay? And that narrative continues in verse 11. So how I want to do this this morning is I want to break it out into three different segments. So we're going to talk about Moses and the Egyptian first. 
then his uh, run-in with the Hebrews, which is my personal favorite, and then uh, the last one when he goes to Midian, which really is the, the catalyst for what happens next, okay, uh, in, uh, in, in the burning bush in chapter 3. So um, if you have your Bible, you can go to Hebrews chapter 11. You don't have to go there. Uh, you can do that. I want to spend a little bit of time in Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 26, which is we finished a study on Hebrews about a year ago. Uh, Hebrews 11 is called called the Hall of Faith. If you didn't know that, uh, now you know. You're welcome. Um, it'll be on the screen if you just want to follow along and do that. But these verses are really helpful for putting into context what Moses is doing in these three incidences, which are really three injustices that Moses, Moses steps into, okay? And we'll, and we'll work through those as we go. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 says this, by faith, which is so important. Just maybe circle that in your Bible. Every time you see the words by faith together, it's important, okay? Because by faith, faith is a gift that is given to us by God. So to do something by faith is to be acting upon a gift that God has given you. Okay, so by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. This was last week. Because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It's very interesting, Okay. Verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The reward was to come. The reward was not the wealth and prosperity that he had in Egypt, right? If you go back to the beginning when we introduced Exodus, Egypt was the global powerhouse. It's where all the world's wealth was isolated. We see most of, right, if you've ever seen the big monuments and the stuff of ancient Egypt, it was magnificent. Egypt was a place of power, and it was a place of prosperity for the elite, okay? If you weren't in that upper class, that elite, then your life was pretty difficult, and that's what we're going to learn in Moses' encounters here in chapter So what do we know about what's happening with the Egyptians? So back to verse 11. This is back in Exodus chapter 2. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, right? So now we know that this is about 40 years. How do we know that? If you go to Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives us a great, uh, Stephen the martyr, not me, Stephen. We do spell our names the same, though, the right way, okay? Um, In Acts chapter 7, he tells us that it had been about 40 years, okay? So that's where we're getting the context for that. But when, uh, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, and he looked on their burdens. So his people would be the Hebrews, right? He was born of uh, a Levite man and a Levite woman, okay? So he was an Israelite. He was a Hebrew, uh, specifically from the line of Levite, which will become really important later on down the road, okay? If you flip in the calendar a good ways, probably to the like, late fall. Uh, verse 12 says, or at the end of verse 11, it says, And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And again, it says, one of his people. Right? So Moses is going through a bit of an identity crisis. Right? So he's born in a Hebrew household to Levites. And then he's placed in a basket and he's sent down the river. And he's discovered by an Egyptian, Pharaoh's daughter. Right? And he's taken in. And then he's still mothered by his real biological mother for a time, and then Pharaoh's daughter adopts him. But he is raised in an Egyptian household, Pharaoh's own household. So he's raised in the ways of Pharaoh. He's raised in the means of Pharaoh. Everything that is Pharaoh's is Moses. Does that make sense? So he is an Egyptian culturally, but not historically. 
Okay? And this is going to become important as we develop who God's people are and what God is doing with his people throughout the Exodus. So Moses is uh, raised in Egypt. He is an Egyptian. He looks like an Egyptian. He's got the th- stuff, right? I, I don't, you've seen the Egyptian collars? I, they look incredibly uncomfortable. He probably had one of those, right? And he looked the part. He looked like he was Egyptian. And so the reason this is significant is because his mind, right, we we know that when he was still a Hebrew, he was being taught the story of the Hebrew people. And there was just enough there, if you missed it, you can go back and listen to some of this stuff, but there was just enough Hebrew dripped into his little brain, into his little heart as a boy, that lasted to say that, hey, I'm not an Egyptian. He knew his identity wasn't in how he had been dressed, It was deeper than that. It was who he was in his heart, who God had created him to be and who God was calling him to be, which is going to play out in how he responds and reacts to these injustices. But I think it's important to see that before Israel could go out of Egypt, Moses had to go out of Egypt. Okay, I don't know what you know of Egypt, but to get from Egypt to Midian, which I don't have the map. We tried to do that once. It didn't go well. Our screen is too small. Uh, Pray for a new screen. Um, or maybe we can zoom in, but look, you can look this up on your phone or go home and just look up uh, Exodus maps. Most of them are good, some of them are not, um, but if you look like the higher they're rated, doesn't always mean that they're good ones, but if you have your Bible, uh, when I was a kid, I used to always look at the maps when, you know, when I was in big church because I thought that the sermons were incredibly boring. So our, our, I know you have, probably don't know where your maps are in your Bible because our sermons are not incredibly boring. They're quite fantastic. But there is a map. If you have, this is an ESV Bible. We preach almost exclusively from the ESV Bible. Uh, in the back, it says uh, the Exodus of Egypt, and there is a map here. It's in full color, right? So when you know, you're looking through, and you're like, oh, it's all black letters, and then, oh, there's color. That's how I was as a kid, okay? So if you're looking at this, where Egypt is in Africa, Midian is kind of to the southeast, okay? But it's, no just, it's not just like around the corner to the southeast. This was a treacherous walk that Moses would have been on. It was an Exodus of, in and of itself, right? And so to get from where he was to where he was going took not only a lot of commitment, but it took a lot of endurance, okay? And so uh, I don't know what you know of the Red Sea, but the Red Sea kind of does a bunny ear thing um, with two gulfs, okay? And so Mount Sinai is in the middle. Egypt is over here. I don't know if this is helpful or not. I'm just trying to. So here's the bunny ears, okay? Um, So Egypt is over here, right? Ramesses, which is where he was kind of from. Mount Sinai is right in the middle, kind of in the V, all right? Midian is on the other side. So to get there, he has to go up and around two gulfs to get to Midian, or he had to cross. More than likely, he went around them, okay? And as he's coming back, this is when we get to Mount Sinai, which is a great encounter that he has with God, okay? So maps are important, okay? When I was in seminary, we had to do these exercises, and I lamented the exercises because they were terrible. We were paying all this money to go to school. Megan was working her tail off so that we could go to school, and I get an assignment in a Bible exposition class, which is how they teach you the Bible in seminary, and it is a blank sheet of paper with outlines, and they ask you to get your coloring pencils out, and you're like, I'm 25 years old. I don't own coloring pencils, And so you go get coloring pencils, and you color in these maps. And I just remember being so frustrated. It's like, why am I coloring maps? Like, I'm here to study the Word of God. And then you start planning an Exodus sermon series. And you're like, oh, I know where these places are because I've colored them, right? So maps are important because if we know what God is doing with his people, then we can see what God is doing with us. 
okay? And so it wasn't an easy trek to get from Egypt to Midian, but it was a trek that God was sending Moses on because eventually God would send his people on. And for Moses to have trekked the path before gives him a little bit of credence that he doesn't have with his interaction with the Hebrews, okay? So I'm going to go back to Exodus. Did you like that? Sorry, that was, that's my um, cynicism of seminary. I loved seminary. It was the most impactful season of our lives. I graduated, by the way, um, just because I was a good colorer. In, all right? So verse 12, he says, he looked this way. Oh, okay, let's go back because I, we need to step into the injustice that's happening, okay? So uh, he sees, this is verse 11, he looked on their burdens, right? So he's looking on the burdens of the Hebrew people, and he saw an Egyptian, which was a taskmaster, okay? This is why I'm saying it, like classism is a real thing. So if you're in the elite in Egypt, you had it pretty good. There were people fanning you. Those fanning people weren't necessarily slaves. They were Egyptians who had subservient jobs, but they weren't slaves, right? So they were still human. The slave was subhuman. Does that make sense? Okay, our own uh, history in our country used to do that too. Like a, a slave was a subhuman. It wasn't that they were subservient, is they weren't real people, okay? That's the, ultimately, that's the injustice that Moses is going after. He's giving dignity to humanity, okay? Because the creation theology from Genesis chapter 1 was rooted in his little boy heart and has stayed there, Okay, so that's what's happening here. So when he looks upon their burdens and he saw the Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, he looked this way and that. Okay, so let me tell you what's happening here. I don't know if you've ever seen a kid do something that he's not supposed to do and you think he got away with it, but you saw him do it. Okay, we've done this a lot of in our house. Okay, I used to have my kids who are not here today, which so I'm going to tell the story because they're not in the room. I used to have my kids convinced that I saw everything and they actually believed it. So we had a few cameras, you know, like in their bedrooms and stuff where we could see them. Uh, but we, they thought, they didn't know that the camera was like something that I could just like pull up on my phone and see, oh, you hit her, you know? And did you hit her? No, I didn't. You remember, I see everything. Oh, uh, yeah, I did hit her, right? And so you have, the, you have these things, right? And I was just using the internet, you know? So don't log into my house and, and view my kids on their cameras. But we would use that, and, and they would have this fear, right? This fear would set in because they knew they'd been caught red-handed. I've done this in my own life where I've done something, and I'm looking this way or that to see, did I get away with it? And sometimes in either God's providence or in his sense of humor, he lets you think that you've gotten away with it. Okay, and that's what's happening here with Moses. So he looks this way and that and seeing no one, what does he do? He struck down the Egyptian and he hit him in the sand. Now there's some who say, well, he didn't actually kill him. You don't bury living people. Okay, you bury the people that you struck and you killed them. All right, I don't know how I know that, uh, but I know that. Okay, I've watched enough television to know that you bury the people, unless you're really super evil, you only bury the people who you killed. Okay? I also know that because in seminary, once I graduated from coloring, I took Hebrew. Okay? And there's a great word in Hebrew. A lot of uh, the Hebrew words sound like karate words. Okay? So just know that. This particular word uh, really does feel, feel like karate. It's naka, right? And that means to strike. Right? So next time you hit somebody, just say naka, and you did it in the name of the Lord. And you're good. Okay? So, Nakah is this word strike, and we see it a bunch in Exodus. We've already seen it in Exodus, and we're actually going to see it again here in just a minute. But Nakah is this word strike, and it's actually, it's a fatal blow. It's, it's not like you slap them on the face. It's, it's you struck them in order to kill them. So what did Moses see? He saw this Egyptian taskmaster, Nakahing, a Hebrew. And so what did he do? He Nakahed back. 
right? And so that's, it's not just like, it's not these abuses. You have to understand the context of these abuses. And sometimes our English language, and it sounds silly, right? But it's real, right? Sometimes our words in English vocabulary don't give us the full weight of what God's trying to communicate, okay? And so this is why, I mean, you know, we said it a couple weeks ago, but like, if you have the opportunity to study original language of God's word, you should do it, okay? It's hard. I found Hebrew to be a little bit easier than Greek because Greek was too much like English, and I want no good at the English, okay? So I, I liked Hebrew, partly because it was entirely backwards, okay? And, uh, but these words give significance. They give weight to what God is doing. So he struck down the Egyptian, and he hit, hid them in the sand. Ultimately, this nakah is what God's action towards the Egyptians will be, a final blow. This is the Red Sea moment, okay? That is nakah, when God struck down the Egyptians, okay? So keep that word in mind. I will be sure to say nakah as many times as I can during the Red Sea Uh, episode. All right. So verse 13, when he went out the next day, right? So he thinks he's gotten away with it. Okay. Because he looked around, he saw no one. Now he's made it to the next day. Okay. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. They were nakaing each other. Okay. And what does Moses do? He steps in. Right? So now he's seen the injustice of the taskmaster going after the Hebrew, and he steps into the injustice. Okay? Righteously, whether the murder was righteous or not, that's to be debated. Okay? As the prince of Egypt, he technically had the governmental right to do whatever he wanted to. Okay? But he had yet to hear from God. So did he have authority from God to do it, or is he a murderer? Okay? In God's covenant, right, which the Ten Commandments are coming, but we already know that murder is bad, Cain and Abel. Okay? There are consequences for murder. So Moses knows in his heart that what he has done is wrong. That's why he's looking this way or that. Right? So did Moses sin when he killed the Egyptian? Yes, he did. It was murder. Okay? So the next day he goes out, and lo and behold, he, he was caught. People saw him, or they heard what had happened. Okay? He went out, and now he's seen another injustice. And these are the Hebrews struggling together. And he says to the man in the wrong, why do you strike? Okay? your companion. And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Now, these people would have known who Moses was, okay, because he was socially elite. So they knew who Moses was. He did not know who they were, but he wanted to be one of them, okay? An Egyptian who was a Hebrew wants to be, he wants to identify with the Hebrews. So he sees Hebrews fighting each other, and he steps into that moment to say, what are you doing? Life is already bad enough without you fighting each other. And so he steps into that moment. But these people are not yet ready for a leader. And so what do they do? They use Moses, they use Moses's, easy for me to say, they use Moses's sin against him. Okay? We know what you did. We know where you buried him. We dug him up and we've told Pharaoh. That's what's happening here. Okay? So now Moses is on the run. He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptians? This is verse 14. Then what happened? What happened to Moses? He was what? He was afraid. He was afraid. Okay, let's go back to the garden. Bite into the apple. What happened? They were afraid. Okay, When we sin against God and his commands, fear sets in, unless there is a redeemer. 
okay? So no matter what, where we are in life, when we sin, we will feel a sense of shame and disappointment, whether it's in self or in others, okay? Those fears, those anxieties, if they're not put onto someone else, they will captivate you, will they not? They will bury you in the sand and you will stay there, okay? And so Moses is stepping into this Messiah role, but he's really just the crossing guard for another Messiah to come, okay? That's where we're going. So then Moses was afraid and he thought, surely the thing is known. Moses couldn't even say what he had done, right? The thing, to not be mentioned, was, is known, right? The murder is known. So verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled. He was scared and he ran. So where does he run? Choo, right? He runs as far as he can go, okay? And he lands in Midian and he sat down by a well. A well is a place of rest, Okay, this plays out in the Gospels, okay? We see this, Jesus goes to the well, and there's a woman there, right? There's always significance around a well because a well is a place of rest, but not this well, okay? This well had not yet been defeated. This well was a place of unrest, okay? Verse 16, now we're stepping into our third. So we've seen the Egyptians, we've seen the Hebrews, and now we're into the Midianites. Verse 16, now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. Pray for this man. Okay? And they came and drew water. Now, they came as the daughters came. Okay? This was a role of women in that day. The women were the ones responsible for uh, drawing water from a well. Okay? This is going to be important here in just a minute. They came down and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And then what happened? Verse 17, the men came in. The men were the shepherds. The men came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and he saved them. Now, we, there's no nakaying here. Okay, so this is, now we're thinking that this is, he's talking to them. He's running them off with now authority. So God is creating, developing Moses into the leader that he needed to be. Now what happens with Moses later on is he feels like he's the one who can't communicate, right? So what does God do? He sends his brother Aaron to be his communicator. But he's communicating here, right? I mean, this is an incredible scenario of how God's provision uses people's gifts even when they doubt their own gifts. Moses hasn't doubted the gift yet because he doesn't know the full weight of his leadership, okay? He's not doubting his gift because he hasn't felt the full weight of his leadership, okay? 17, the shepherds came down, drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. He was a humble servant leader. Verse 18, when they came home to their father, father Reuel, a.k.a. Jethro, okay, Reuel, is a, this is the last time we hear Reuel. It, later on, he becomes Jethro, right? It's just it's two names, same person, all right? Um, he made great coffee. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today, right? So this was a quick trip to the well and back. They said, the, the daughters now, an Egyptian, an Egyptian delivered us. Okay, this is a significant word, right? This is ultimately what God is doing to the people of Israel, is deliverance. It's not temporary salvation. It's full-on deliverance. An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. Now, love this response in verse 20 is one of the best responses of all time, okay? He says to his daughters, all of them, seven daughters, where is he? You need a husband. Where is he? If he's getting water for your flocks, marry him. That's the only quality he needs to get one of you out of my house. Right? 
An Egyptian delivered us. Why are you here? Where is he? Why have you left the man? This is back in verse 20. Why have you left him? Call him that he may eat bread. Moses was delivered from the river Nile, right, in a great act of compassion. This is also an act of compassion. He's on the run. He finds a well, which is known to be a place of rest, and then he's fed there. He's a protector and deliverer, and yet he is being served. Call him that he may eat bread. Verse 21, Moses was content. That's such an important word that our culture really suffers from, is this idea of content. Content and joy go hand in hand, right? If you're always on the run from one thing to the next, and we do this, I was an athlete, we do this with athletics, right? Oh, I'm not getting to play, so I'm transferring, right? Or I'm not getting to do the thing, this job's not paying me enough, or I'm not happy enough, and you just keep moving. Boom, 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 boom. That's a content problem, okay? Which ultimately is a heart problem, which is a sin problem, okay? Moses, on the run, knows no one. He's dirty. He's nasty. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's content. He's content, okay? Moses was content to dwell with a man, and he gave Moses his daughter. There it is, Zipporah, right? Gave his daughter Zipporah. So now a Hebrew raised in an Egyptian has married a Midianite. God is doing a work bigger than what the human mind has the ability to comprehend. She gave birth to a son, which is significant, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So these common issues that Moses walks through, all these episodes of injustice, there is the beaten to death of the slave by the Egyptian. There is the wronged neighbor with the Hebrew. There is the deprivation of the women at the well by the nomad shepherds. And in each of those, Moses is being sharpened. Moses is growing. Is Moses perfect? He's not. Moses is not perfect. He was an imperfect man of God. But he was being used to be a deliverer. And eventually, he will be the one that delivers God's people from the Egyptian enemy. And so where do we find encouragement? That Moses was a savior. He's not the savior. Moses was a savior that left some saving to be done. And what we know from the scriptures and in the gospel is that there's another Moses to come, a true and better Moses. His name is Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, who came to die to save the lost, to save those who have been chained to their sin, which ultimately is death. That's what the Bible says. So the great Egypt is death. And Jesus didn't come to save us from the chains of some other human authority, but he came to chain us from, or to free us from the ultimate chain that leads to death. And that doesn't just free us from death. He frees us to offer us life, but it's the life that only he could give. And it's the life that only he deserves. So no matter how bad you feel like you've messed up, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you think you've gotten away with something and you didn't, God can still use you. He can. There is not one single thing. Have you buried anybody in the sand today, this week, last month? When was the last time you buried somebody in the sand? 
The kids buried me in the sand one time. I didn't enjoy it, right? God can use you. A lot of times, here's the problem that God's people have, is we don't fully trust the gospel. We trust it just enough to save our own tales, right? Oh, it's uh, insurance, right? The gospel's insurance to save me from hell. It's not actually the gospel. It's not always what we're being saved from, but what we're being saved to, who we're being saved to. And Moses is figuring this out. Eat one injustice at a time. He can use anybody to accomplish great things, not for our glory, but for his glory. The last thing I want us to say this morning as we wind down is that salvation, the salvation that God provides to us is still by grace, still by faith, only in Christ. That's it. It's true for Moses. It's true in the time of Christ. It's true for us. It's true for those sweet little kids who ran out about 30 minutes ago, 36 minutes ago, come a long way since the 10-minute mark, right? That's what God is doing. So don't you give up on what God's calling you to do before God's called you to do it. God has not called Moses yet. That's coming. And yet in God's providence and in his sovereignty, he's using a murderer on the run to free his people who have known nothing but bondage for generations. What could he do with you? What could he do with me? God wants to do a great work in us so that he can do a great work through us. And that's no prosperity because what, we know what's coming. It's wilderness, it's desert, and God's people want to go back to slavery. That's how this story goes. Come back over the next few months and we're going to work it out, okay? We're going to close into a time of uh, communion, which is in the back like we do every week. And my prayer as we enter into this time every week is that it becomes a, a time of remembrance, uh, a time of freeing, a time of freedom, right? This is, that is the well. It's the, it's the well with water that never runs dry, okay? And yes, it is juice and it is bread that we tore up this morning, okay? But use it as a remembrance of what Christ has done. It's his body broken back there. It's his blood spilled. But he did it for you and he did it for me. And so whatever that thing is that you think that's keeping you from doing what God has called you to do, why don't you leave it in your seat and you go find freedom back there. Some of our leaders will be over here to pray with you if you want to do that as we enter into a time of close. But I want to pray and uh, go to the table and find rest there. We love you. We're so thankful for you. And uh, I pray that this summer will be uh, just fruitful as we're going to continue through Exodus all the way through the summer. We're not stopping. So I pray that this.